In October of 312 AD, the Emperor Constantine engaged in a battle at the Milvian Bridge. And it's said that at this battle, the night before he went to fight his opponent, Maxentius, he saw in the sky a sign. A sign either of a cross or a hero, but a sign that represented Christ himself. And he heard, in hoc signum vinces, which is to say, in this sign you will conquer. So Constantine was successful in this battle and became the sole emperor of the West. Having done so very shortly after that, he published something called the Edict of Milan in 313 AD, which legalized Christianity. For the first time in 300 years, Christians were free to worship without threat of persecution and death. Constantine's mother, St. Helena, was herself a Christian. And so shortly after the legalization of Christianity, she undertook a pilgrimage to the Holy Land on the orders of Constantine to try to discover and reestablish the different sites of Christian worship in the Holy Land. The Christians, since the time of Jesus, had been maintaining worship at the sites of his death and of his birth and of his resurrection, the different places where he had celebrated miracles. But the Romans, in order to try to quash the Christian cult, they forbade worship at these sites and they began to build pagan temples on top of them in order to try to essentially force the Christians into pagan worship. Fine, if you're going to keep worshiping here, here's a temple to Venus. Worship her. So Helena goes to the Holy Land. She speaks with the Christians present who have maintained an unbroken tradition of where these sites are because they have been worshiping there in secret. And she goes and she begins to pull down these pagan temples. Over Golgotha is said there was a temple of Venus. And so as she pulls down this temple on the hill on which Christ was crucified... They discover, under the ground there, three crosses, just like the crosses described in the Gospel. And now there's this question, are these the crosses of Christ and the two who are crucified on either side of him? And if they are, how can we tell which one is the true cross? St. Helena didn't want to just guess, and so they asked, how can we get a sign from the Lord? And they determined there was a woman very close to death in the city. And so they brought her to these crosses, and they touched her to each of these three crosses. And after she touched the final cross, she was miraculously healed immediately. And the Christians at the time, including St. Helena, took it as a sign that this is the true cross of Christ. This was in 327 AD, or 326 AD thereabouts. St. Helena split the cross into a few pieces, one kept in Jerusalem, another sent to Rome. But also in this cross, she found three nails. Three nails, like the nails, it would have been three, going through Jesus' two hands and then his feet, which would have shared a nail. Found these three nails. She sent two to her son, I think it was rather selfish of her, two to her son, they put one in his helm and one in the bridle of his horse so that he would be continue to be victorious in battle as he was the first time he battled under the sign of Christ. But that third nail she sent to Rome. And as she returned from the Holy Land to the city of Rome, she established on the Constantinian estate on the edges of the city of Rome 
a palace for herself. It was already established. But she began to live there, and in part of this palace she established a church. And in this church she put the relics that she brought from the Holy Land, relics of the true cross, this nail that she brought back with her. And she brought back soil, lots and lots of soil, land, dirt, from the Holy Land, which she spread on the floor of this basilica. This basilica still stands today in exactly the same spot, at St. Helena's estate. And in this basilica today are the relics that St. Helena brought back. You can still go to Rome in Santa Croce in Jerusalem. You can still see relics of the true cross, wood of the true cross. You can see one of the nails driven through the hands or the feet of Jesus. You can see spines from the crown of thorns. And also in this reliquary is said to be the finger of St. Thomas, which he put in the side of Christ, the crossbar of the good thief. Now, I suppose you may have doubts about whether the nail that St. Helena brought back was truly the nail of Christ, that the cross that she found was truly the cross of Christ. There was a 300-year gap. You might not believe that the Christians were able to maintain an oral, tradi- an oral tradition for that long. I myself believe that they did. But it is unquestionable, the historical record has no gaps in it, that the nail that we can see in Rome today is the same nail that St. Helena brought back. And if you, like me, believe that St. Helena found the true cross, then you believe that that is the nail that went through the hands or the feet of Jesus. My friends, the passion narrative that we've just heard, it's not a myth, it's not a made-up story, it's not a moralistic tale. This is history. This happened to a man born in Palestine, who lived and died in Palestine at the hands of the Romans, who rose from the dead. Jesus Christ suffered for us. If we reference the Shroud of Turin, the best chance we have of having the true burial Shroud of Christ, you can see all of the wounds on the back of Christ, on his back and on his legs. His skin is torn over and over and over again. You can see the blood stains on the Shroud. He would still have been bleeding even after death, soaked in to this piece of fabric. You can see on his head the wounds of the crown of thorns, those spines, inch and a half long, very sharp. This really happened. He actually did it. He was really in the garden praying that he wouldn't have to undergo such pain and such torment, but saying, Lord, Father, if this is your will, this is your will. Thy will be done. He knew that his whole reason for becoming a human being and living on earth was to save us from our sins. And he knew that if this is what was necessary, he would go through it. Because the only thing that he cared about, his absolute passion, was to save us from our sins. So he allowed himself to be scourged at a pillar. He allowed his hands and his feet to be pierced by a nail that I can tell you, having seen it, is not very sharp. It would have been incredibly painful. He allowed himself to die on a cross, thought of as a criminal, hanging above his head a sarcastic sign, Here we, the Romans, have killed the king of the Jews. We've put him on a cross next to criminals. 
The Lord did all of that for us. And He really, truly did it. We read this Passion every year because we have to remember the price of our salvation. Our salvation was not free, and it was not easy. God had to become a human being, and then at our hands, because of our corruption and our sin, the Lord suffered more than anyone has suffered. Not just physically, but with the existential pain of carrying all of our sins. He suffered and He died on a cross as a criminal. The Lord loves us unconditionally. But I never want us to think of that love as soft. The love of the Lord is self-sacrificial. It is absolute. It carries with it a heavy price. This is the love that all of us are called to show to the Lord and to each other. The love of Jesus Christ, who allowed himself to be scourged and pierced and tortured. This is the Lord that we follow. And somehow in the great mystery of God, through all of this suffering and pain, we find the greatest fulfillment, the greatest love, the greatest transcendence we will ever know. We come together each Sunday to celebrate the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ on this altar. And in so doing, we receive the presence of God in our lives. It's incredible that the Lord did this for us. And I hope we never numb ourselves to the reality of his passion.